Hey, welcome to the weekly. I'm one of your hosts, Thomas, with my good friends, Jay and Perry today. This is where we try to connect what happened over the weekend in our services to your real life lived Monday through Friday. Jay, how are you doing? My friend, is a good Tuesday. Perry, how are you? Doing great. Good to be here. All right, here's my opening question for you guys. What were you thinking when you were watching the halftime show at the Super Bowl? What in the world is going on with those bandages? <laughs> I, I Someone sent me a meme. It's like, in case you missed it, it had a picture of a bunch of people with like YD tidies on their head. <laughs> That's what it looked like. Oh my gosh. Oh man. Please. I, I, here's the thing. I love the halftime show at Super Bowls because yeah. they're... They're obscene. Like they're just—I don't even know what's going on. The artistic right. flair. I was dizzy when he was like in this room of gold and mirrors. I had to close my eyes, or I was gonna just lose it. <laughs> like, what's happening? But like, I would never think of doing something like that. But now, after seeing it, I might do that on Sunday. Yeah, totally. We can't wait for this Sunday. What you're gonna do? Better to emulate that than last year's halftime show. Okay, remind I'll, me I'll what just, was last well, year's? Well, you just go back and you can Google you it. Can Google I don't it. recommend it though. Okay. Okay. All right. No, that's really funny. Actually, I thought to myself during the halftime show, I must be getting old because I don't understand any of this. And that's it, usually the first sign you're getting old. Did you did you know who The weekend was? Only from one of the songs. Yes, yeah. I did. I knew who he was because on the stationary bike, that is the best song to pedal to. Okay, okay. All right. <laughs> Guaranteed. I, I thought I knew who The weekend was, but then when I realized it, that I knew the weekend he's the guy in the Pepsi commercial who <laughs> 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 was getting ready for the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I don't know if that counts. I guess he also does commercials. That's I think amazing. he does. <laughs> you know, that song sounds like something from Top Gun. That's what I always think it's when I catchy. hear the weekend. Yeah, it's like, catchy. like Tom Cruise would be proud in a F-16 right now. Okay, now, now we're talking about important things. When right. does Top Gun 2 come out? Uh, it's been delayed until 2026. Again. <laughs> Is it? Okay. <laughs> I did see Tom Cruise's commercial for Scientology. Oh, really? On the Super Bowl. Yeah. I missed it. I must have been I eating wings or too. pizza. Mm. Yeah. yeah, interesting. We had I had so much food on Super Bowl Sunday, like, and I asked. We had little boys in the room, and I said, "What was your favorite meal? Thanksgiving dinner or Super Bowl dinner?" Oh. And they were like, "Super Bowl." There you go. It's hard to beat just a spread. Yeah. Of dip. <laughs> like here's a chip. You dip that in all of these things, especially once, during COVID. Once again, the weekly turned into a food podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it happens every week, every my friend. Time. Every time. Hey, if you're new to Calvary, we would love to connect with you. You need to go to calvarybible.com slash events. Click there on Starting Point. It's happening in all three campuses. It's a great place for you to start. You see what I did there, boys? See what I did there? That was, uh, that was For punny. you here at, here at Calvary. So go to the calvarybible.com slash events also, in the coming weeks, is middle school winter retreat is happening. So if you have a middle schooler on all three campuses, you need to go to the events page and sign up your middle schooler there. It's going to be safe and as simple and the re- large regathering of the middle school ministry at winter retreat. And then also, women's retreat is coming up early March. So if you're a woman here at Calvary, we would love to see you get connected with other women and enjoy the weekend. It's going to be really cool. The theme is Come With Me. Uh, women at Calvary. And so you want to jump in and sign up and get really involved with the women's ministry here at Calvary because it is strong, powerful, and there's a lot of women who connect and find it very meaningful. And then that's not to say that men's ministry doesn't exist here at Calvary. It does. 
You can go to calvarybible.com slash men. Find a group, jump in. There's plenty of opportunities if you're a man at Calvary and haven't been connected to jump there. Okay, that is all the news and announcements I have for you. Let's get into the show. We got Perry Marshall today, and we're excited because he preached on the online message for Calvary this weekend. He had a wonderful white shirt, which was perfect for a message about someone coming out of the tomb. I thought it was fitting. Covered in linens, you know, all that type of stuff. And Perry, I always comment on your shirt, by the way. I know that. Jay know also that has a food podcast <laughs> and a fashion podcast. Yes. What do you think about my shirt, Jay? Yeah. Your shirt is always good because it's the new one of the year. Yeah. I'll get bored with it in October. Let's see. I'm kind of bored of it right now. Is the secret out? February. I thought this was kind of on the down low. Well, that he has a new shirt every year? Yeah, the, the preaching shirt. No, historically at Calvary in January... The first week in January on the Erie campus, people show up to church just to see what Thomas has picked for the new year. I, I'm kind of a fashion icon <laughs> at five foot two, 220, hairless. People want to know, yeah. what's he going to dress himself in? Yeah. And I think um, because this is a podcast, nobody knows this but us, but uh, you have the 2019 or is that the 2018 preaching shirt? I know. Right so after you have a couple preaching shirts, <laughs> that's how I build my... My whole closet. Your wardrobe. So I have a wardrobe of Old. what I used to wear. Yeah. <laughs> Let's pull out the 2017. Go retro. I yeah. know. Good. We'll have a throwback year sometime. Hey, well, we were in John 11 this week, and it was one of the most famous stories in all of John. I would say, just in my own heart and life and reading of John, it's probably one of the most important stories. That's really hard to say when you talk about the Gospels and you know, every story is important because it's all about Jesus. But I think this is a really, really crucial text for John and our understanding of what Jesus was doing in the world. What do you think, guys? Totally agree. Yeah, it, just in in the big picture of what's going on in the book of John, this is kind of a hinge story where um, up until this point, you've had the public ministry that Jesus has been a part of, where he's been ministering um, in full view of everyone around him. And right after this miracle in John 11, um, he is going to switch to more of a private ministry that will lead up all the way to the cross. So um, it's definitely a hinge point. So it's important just in, in John's gospel simply because of that reason too. Yeah, I think we need to make it clear. It's really important when we're talking about John to read not only the text that we're in, but to continue to reread the whole gospel because only in your reading of it from beginning to end do you understand that this story is actually like that turning point and you sort of catch it. I caught that actually in even my own personal reading of John last week with that. And I was like, I even asked you, Thomas, it's like, hey, did you notice this? You know, and that's really important in our own lives that when we're in a text or we're in a series like we are in the I am's, to like read John maybe from beginning to end. Yeah, John has a structure to his letter that he has intended for a purpose to communicate, you know, a message. And even though we're doing this series of Jesus' statements of the I am, and there's seven of them in the book of John, John did not organize his book around these I am statements. So it's important to realize that there is an organization. This is kind of a hinge point like Perry's saying. And these latter I am statements that we're going to look at in the next few weeks— Notice there's going to be a distinct difference because he goes from the public kind of proclamation to the private teaching to his disciples. And there's going to have a unique flavor to what he's about to say of, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. 
Um, so take a look at that when we when we get there. That's good. Let's turn the corner and actually ask Perry. Perry, what did you you take away that you didn't talk about on Sunday, or actually online? I should say because mm-hmm. we watch it at morning, noon, or night, depending on who you are and what your time schedule is. But um, what are some of those takeaways you thought? Oh man, I wish I had more time to talk about this. Yeah, well, there are several actually, but one of them is early on in the chapter, just when Jesus finds out about his friend Lazarus. And um, just as a as a side note, if you read up in the very end of chapter ten, it says in verse forty that um, Jesus had gone away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. So that's another place called Bethany. But it's uh, Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. Bethany across the Jordan is what it's known as. It's about a day's journey by foot um, from um, where Bethany, the village, is just outside of Jerusalem. So Jesus is a ways away from where Lazarus and Mary and Martha were. But it says here in the text that he finds out about Lazarus being ill. And then in verse 5 of chapter 11, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was, was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That um, seems like something that doesn't follow. Like, what, you loved him, but you stayed there two days longer? And the interesting thing there that stood out to me that I didn't get a chance to talk about is just simply that Jesus isn't, um, he doesn't feel like manipulated in any way by the statement that Lazarus is ill to just drop what he's doing immediately and, you know, tuck in his cloak and start running towards Bethany. He's, he takes his time and it just, I think demonstrates how that's the way God operates, right? We know that from our own experiences, how God operates according to a time schedule that's often different than the schedule we think he should be on. That's a great insight. Thomas, sort of unpack that for us pastorally as we think about our lives with Jesus. What do you think about Jesus not operating in our time schedule and how can we apply that specifically to whatever circumstances we're finding ourselves in? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think in the ways that we schedule our days or the things that we fill our days with are, are often not the things that are a priority to us, the things that we have purpose to engage with. I think they're often like the things that just flare up and they're chaotic and they're erratic and we're just trying to put out small fires left and right. And Jesus is, is moving methodically according to his plan and purposes. Pastorally, I see this as a way to help people understand that God, perhaps, quote, unquote, isn't answering their prayers on their timeline, but it's not because of a lack of love or a a dearness that he has for you. So here you'd have Mary, Martha, and Lazarus coming to Jesus saying, okay, we're kind of like the inside group, so to speak. Like We've been following you. Perhaps they've been funding Jesus's ministry. They're really important to Jesus um, in a friendship level. And you'd think if there's an inside track to Jesus, a backstage pass, so to speak, these folks would have it. And Jesus is always a level playing field. Um, Even when his family shows up and they're like, we demand to talk to Jesus. You know, he's saying, hey, my my mother, brothers, sisters, they're right here in the family. And constantly the scriptures are reminding us that God treats us on a level playing field, that there is no inside track. And so if you feel like, man, God is distant or not answering or not showing up on time, you can't believe this lie that I think the devil has in our minds. That's probably because, well, maybe he loves those people more, and that's why they're getting their quote-unquote prayers answered, or that's why God seems to be showing up in their life and not showing up in yours. He doesn't love you as much. And that's just not true. I think there's places in this story that reminds us of Jesus' love for them so that we would not believe this lie 
that Jesus isn't showing up in our life because he doesn't love us as much. Yeah, I think that's a really good insight to our own lives um, in the 21st century. Yeah. Another thing that, that stands out related to this is how Jesus' motivations are expressed here in the in the chapter. Now, when we're in a moment of crisis or some dilemma that we're facing, we oftentimes don't find these answers to be completely satisfactory about why things might be happening the way they are. But Jesus is, is very clear here. He says in verse 4, um, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So we see this motivation that Jesus has for the way he's responding being God's glory and which in turn is to glorify himself as as um, the son of God that that is God's motivation for the way he operates in our world to bring his name glory to be um, exalted among us and that's our purpose as human beings and that goes hand in hand with Jesus's other statement here in verse um, 14 um, beginning in verse 14, when Jesus tells him plainly that Lazarus has died, and in 15, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. And that is just a, a theme that's repeated throughout John. And you think of John 3.16 as the famous verse that, that everybody knows from this book. It's about belief. And um, this is demonstrating how this is part of the motivation for Jesus remaining two days longer, that he wants to build the faith of his disciples and the people who are going to witness this miracle. And that in turn bring in turn brings God glory. Yeah, I think on that pair, I think that's such a good point, is God's glory revealed in our life. It almost sounds egotistical, like, okay, I'm going to wait two more days so then I can do a bigger reveal. Yeah. But it's actually for our benefit. So God's glory in our life produces more belief, faith, which is really tied to our deep relationship with him. So we grow in Christ when he displays himself in our life. Right. And that's on his timeline. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I think um, it's important to realize that that's another reason why this story is so important is because of that. We actually get Jesus's statement of it's for God's glory and for the son of God to be glorified. And that should perk us up to say, okay, how does Jesus, why does Jesus conquer death? It's for God's glory and for the Son of God to be glorified, right? right. Absolutely. So let's go to this. You said that in online that 7 billion people can't, haven't escaped this, won't escape this, this, this word death. How do you see that death um, plays out in our modern world? And um, you made some reflections from John Stott with his sort of reflections of the Victorian age and then our age, how does how does death play a part? Yeah, I I think it's really um, a good observation about the way we handle death in our own day. You know, think of all of the different ways. And of course, before I even go any further, there could be exceptions to this. You may you may know exceptions um, even as I say this. But in general, it feels like in our culture we try to do whatever we can to distract ourselves from death, to deny that death is even going to be in our near future, you know, and, um, I, I see it in a number of ways. In fact, in fact, we were part of a, of, I was a part of a funeral not long ago and just remember thinking, man, it's been a long time since I've been a part of a funeral. It seems like a lot of times, um, that funerals are, have more like morphed into memorial services, which, um, just have a different feel to them sometimes. Not that there's anything wrong with having a memorial service instead of a funeral, but it's not often that we are around a dead body. 
put it that way. And it's not often that we are even around relatives of ours who are near death. It seems like um, just as a culture, as a society, we have tried to, uh, whether consciously or not, we've tried to distance ourselves from the experience of death. And that is something that's just important for us to realize is a very modern phenomenon. Like it was it was totally common in previous generations to have people die in your house or to see people die who were close to you in unexpected ways. Or maybe they, I should say actually more accurately, they were expected, but they would be um, highly unlikely today just through um, tragedies because things are safer today than they have been in the past. Um, we have less you know, accidents that happen because of machinery, um, things like that, that kind of keep us sanitized from death and keep death at a distance. So um, I think that that's, that's just where we're at culturally. And consequently, as a church, sometimes we don't talk enough about death. And that's, I think, one of the real values of this passage because it confronts us with this thing that we don't want to really talk about, but yet there's no way of avoiding it. Yeah, that's a really good reflection of where we're at and as a culture. Like death is usually on movie screens or yeah. in books and, you know, things like that. So um, I think as a, a believer, it's okay to talk about death, to confront death, to know what death is in order because it gives us so much hope for the the one who conquered that death. Yeah, absolutely. And Jay, I think that's a key point. Like that's one thing that, that just kept coming back into my mind in preparation for the sermon and it's remained remained in my mind and that's that we can't really understand or begin to grasp the the greatest hope that we have of the gospel unless we are willing to also face that greatest enemy that we have the greatest despair it is it's the greatest despair that makes us understand the greatest hope that we have if we don't have those two next to each other, then we'll, we're prone to just missing the fullness of what we really have as Christians. Yeah, man, that's a really good, I, I really appreciated your sermon when you talked about that and highlighted it. So Pastor Thomas, we, we, Perry talked about this quite a bit too, but he said a phrase, he said, we believe in a physical resurrection. So the question I have for you is why is a physical bodily resurrection so important to believe in for believers? So Jesus, Jesus shows us a physical resurrection, and this is categorically different than world religions or opinions of the afterlife, that you're going to go off in a spiritual sense, you're going to dissolve into something, you're going to decay into nothing. Jesus and God speak of a physical resurrection because we as human beings are distinctly different. We are both flesh and spirit. He has made us both of the earth and of his breath, so to speak, in, in Genesis. And you think about this idea of death, it is an enemy. I mean, I know Perry talked about this on Sunday, that, en- that there is a categorical difference between viewing death as a natural part of life and an, a threat and something that needs to actually be defeated. So many times I've heard people say, well, you know, death is just something you, you, know, you can't really avoid. It's just part of living. And it's, it shouldn't be. It's actually an alien to the world that comes in on the heels of sin uh, because of choices that we've made. And so Jesus shows up in the flesh so that he can bring resurrection to the flesh. And here's a great verse. This is Hebrews 2. We didn't get there on Sunday in Erie. I don't think we did online. 
he says that Jesus, that since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And our fear of death is the destruction of the body, as much as it is the separation of the body and soul. The reason death is so traumatic is it, it separates what God has put together, which is flesh and spirit. And Jesus came not to just save our spirit, but to actually resurrect in new bodies. And Jesus is the first example of this, the first fruits of a resurrected body united with a spirit. And that's just a great hope that we don't just go and fade off into something, into some spiritual la-la land, but that he's actually resurrecting. He's making all things new. He's taking what is flesh, what is earthly, and he's bringing out the sin of it, bringing the death out of it so that he can restore it as it should be, which is very earthy. Yeah, that's a great biblical reflection of that. So for the purpose of the Calvary faithful and those who are following along and reading, I think it's really strange the reaction those who saw Lazarus raised from the dead and their desire to do something that I didn't think seemed normal from the story. So Perry, let's talk about those in the the reaction of the individuals after seeing Lazarus been, being raised from the dead and the power of Jesus to do it. Yeah, it's it's I I think the last thing that would come to your mind if somebody told you, "Hey, there's a story out there about this guy named Jesus who raises a dead man from the grave." And you get to complete that story and and um, figure out, you know, write, write it in yourself, in your own mind, what would happen with all of the onlookers at that scene? What do you think their response would be to Jesus, this man who just raised a dead man out of the grave? And I think um, for myself, I would have no hesitation in saying, well, everybody would believe. Everybody would follow Jesus because that's like pretty spectacular. You can't just pull that off um, as an ordinary person. But of course, if you read the end of chapter 11 of John, you see that that is not what happens. Some do believe, but there's also this huge um, conflict that's, that's stirred up. And I'll just read it for you in verse 45 of the end of chapter 11. Many of the Jews who had come with Mary and seen what, seen what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council, just another group of um, powerful religious figures, and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation, and it will be terrible and horrible and awful. (laughs) I ad-libbed there. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Caiaphas there is expressing something that he doesn't even understand himself, how true it actually is. Um, He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And then that's where we see Jesus no longer walks openly among the Jews, but he goes on from there um, away to Ephraim, and he stays with his disciples. So you see that there's a reaction against Jesus and against Lazarus even, and the Jewish leaders 
are looking for an opportunity to kill them both because they don't want the word to get out about what happened to Jesus. It's just bizarre. I think just in our situation as leaders of a church in ministry, the number one thing I think I hear from people about belief is if I could see it, you know, there's this Thomas syndrome, so to speak, Mm -hmm. where it's just show me the hands, show me the feet, and then I'll believe. And Jesus has this really special blessing for those of, you know, Thomas, you get to see, you get to put your hands um, visually, you get to have your faith strengthened. Blessed are those people that are coming. That's, and he's given a blessing to us. Blessed are those people who are coming that, that never get to see these things and believe. But I think at the root of that is, if I could just see a miracle, I would believe. Yeah. And the truth is, all these people get to see miracles, yeah. and they're just like us, and some believe and some don't. Mm-hmm. What I think is so amazing is we continue to believe in our own power. Um, as you point out, Barry, John, just the next chapter, John 12 you have verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as mm-hmm. well. And it's like, man, the gall to think that the one that just got raised from the dead, you're like, man, we gotta, we're going to have to kill him. You're like, <laughs> well, he's, is he going to stay dead? Mm-hmm. But you think, I'm, I got to do this. And in the motivation there is, is selfish, right? So why mm-hmm. do they try to put Jesus and Lazarus away? Is because the world's going to them we will lose our influence. Rome will come in and take our positions. And so there's not a sense of humility to believe on Jesus. It's, man, Jesus is a threat to my authority. This is a threat to my life. And I got to get rid of him. Yeah, that's really good. We hope after listening today, you know, you're learning some things about Jesus's timetable and what he's trying to do in your own life. And then also sometimes it's not the most beneficial thing to actually get what you think you need from God to believe, like you're saying right there. And as we turn the tables here um, for the next two months of Jesus' ministry in John up until his death, um, I think it's really important for us to realize that there's some really big undercurrents as we're reading John that these men want to kill him and want to really take it out on him and what he's doing. And that's really important for us to realize as believers that, guess what, you know, even in our day and age, the same can be true. So, you know, maybe one of the practices I would encourage Calvary, and we can talk about this a little bit because it was in our leader discussion guide for those in whom groups talked about this in their extra credit, but memorization of a really important passage that is found in 1 Corinthians 15. Perry, you want to share what that passage is and sort of the history of that passage? Sure. So this is um, what even skeptical scholars would say is a very early statement from um, the early church. First Corinthians was probably written in the mid fifties and um, the apostle Paul is converted, you know, soon after Jesus um, was crucified, buried, and then resurrected and ascended back up to be with the father. So um, this is very early, as early as maybe just a year or two after those events with Jesus and was passed on from person to person among the early believers in the church. It's kind of a formulaic thing that has a technical side to it. But when you see the words, for I delivered to you as a first importance, this is 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 3, that usually means that there's Paul received something when he first became a believer that was given to him that then he passed on to other people. So this was something that the early church memorized about just the essential core of the gospel. And um, it's 
contained for us right here in First Corinthians 15, and just a really cool thing to think about. Hey, in 2021, we can memorize this key little phrase that the people in the early church memorized as well to help remind themselves and communicate the gospel to each other. So it's First Corinthians 15, again, um, starting in verse 3. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, just another name for Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And then Paul adds on to that by talking about how um, Christ appeared to him as well on the Damascus road. So these verses contain the very core of the gospel, though, and emphasize the fact that Jesus wasn't just claimed to have risen from the dead, but he actually showed up and appeared in front of as many as 500 people at one time, many whom are still alive by the time Paul is writing this letter. It's like he's saying, hey, if you don't take my word for it, go ask one of them because they were there too. Yeah, that's really great. And we're asking Calvary faithful to step into memorizing Scripture. Thomas, what do you think happens when we memorize Scripture, and why do we ask people to do it? So, I don't know the, the fullness of, of that. One of the things is you are believing in something that is not new, novel, created. Even in the statement that Paul is making himself, it's, I delivered to you, which means he's giving something that he received. And the creedal parts of that are according to the scriptures. So the according of the scriptures is the foundation of our faith. Like We're building on the confidence that God has said it, God has accomplished it, and so I can trust it. And so this is, I mean, if you just memorize even just three notes from 1 Corinthians 15, like someone said, why do you have confidence in the Christian faith? You say, you know, there's a guy that according to scriptures, things that were written, he said he would die, he would be buried, he would raise and appear, and he did it. And he's the only person historically to do it. Yeah. And he pulled it off. And so I'm with him. Yeah, that's a great way, reason why we should memorize this verse. What are some ways you think are super helpful for us, this very practical level on how to memorize? Start small. If you're going to start a Bible memorization program, you're going to want to do John 11.35. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. <laughs> Jesus that's a good place to start, you know, and then yeah. it builds your confidence of like, oh, I got this. I yeah. can do this. I can memorize that one. I can memorize all of them, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> one word at a time. No, it really is building the trustworthiness of God. And remember, the Holy Spirit is a gift that's given, is the, is the helper. And the helper, in one of his fashions, is the counselor to remind you of the things that God has said, the things that Jesus has said. So he's going to bring a remembrance to the things that, well, you know. So the, what, what have you put into your reservoir, so to speak, that then God can bring to remembrance and nourish you in certain circumstances. Yeah, that's a great reminder for all of us to get back into some Bible memorization. If you're unfamiliar, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7. We're going to refresh it up ourselves, right, gentlemen? In this mm-hmm. memorization? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, I see. Yes, Jay. Hey, but we would love for you to join us as we memorize some of these very essential truths of the gospel of this great story that Jesus has called you, has called me, called the people of Calvary to be faithful to. Hey, Perry, it was great to have you in the studio. Thanks for letting me show up. Thanks for turning my microphone on this time. That's oh, even key. Yeah, that's, that's great. It's great to have you, my friend.
Thomas, like always, see you on the flip side. See you on the flip side. Calvary, we love you. Talk to you very soon. If you have any questions or concerns about what we've talked about here, just go to theweekly at calvarybible.com and shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. For those who've written in over the last couple weeks some questions, we'll get to those. We promise. We'll just, we have some important things to talk about this week, but we love having those conversations with you through email. So the weekly at calvarybible.com. Love to hear from you. Calvary, we love you. Talk to you very soon. Have a great week.